Dr. Christopher Ryan and the Tangentially Speaking Podcast. My name is Jonah Condro, and I'm a student at the University of Alberta. I'm just standing at the edge of the river valley on the north end of our campus, and I'm admiring the blue sky and the nice weather. It's springtime here in Alberta. I just wanted to say I picked up a borrowed copy of Sex at Dawn. I had it on hold at the library. I have a few days before my spring class starts, so I've got uh, a good bit of reading to do. Uh, I just wanted to say I enjoy the podcast. Uh, I first encountered you with Duncan Trussell and Joe Rogan on an episode of the Joe Rogan Experience. And since then, I've been listening to the Duncan Trussell Family Hour, uh, Joe Rogan, and, of course, Tangentially Speaking. That's about all I got to say, and uh, I can't wait to hear more of your content. Take it easy, and goodbye for now. Hello, Mr. Christopher. I'm Dennis. I'm a 22-year-old advertising student from the UK. Every day, I get to cycle down the canals in Britain. Around 12 miles a day, I cycle just to get to and from work or to and from the gym. And it's gotten quite sunny here. Above the water, you can see all these bugs flying around, jumping in and out the water, in and out the grass. You can see the fish jumping up from underneath the water, making all these little splashes. And I can, I can only just cycle past thinking about the biosphere, and I really want to know what's happening. I want to know what's going on in their world, and whether they're aware of it or not. Because, I mean, how the fuck are we ever going to know? Besides, questions like these are answered by people in your podcast, so please, please never stop podcasting. Have a blessed day. Hello, Chris, and everyone else who's listening. My name's Monique. I'm coming from Melbourne, Australia, and I just quit my dream job being an urban market gardener. It was my dream for 15 months, and then I realised recently that it's not my dream anymore, so I'm moving on with um, good feelings, good experience, but needing to move on. I also teach permaculture and fermentation, and I'm excited about what's going to come next. Thank you for all that you do, Chris. I've been listening since the beginning, and everything you've done has changed my life. So thank you. Bye. Radio Mano Papachango. I just say that you people are fucking beautiful. Monique in Melbourne, the guy in England looking at the bugs and the fish and thinking about stuff, the guy in Alberta, all of you people, you're fucking beautiful. Thank you so much for participating in this weird thing, this weird experiment, this virtual community that occasionally touches into reality and I appreciate it so much, and, and the winning streak is still intact, I have to say. I have met a bunch of people through the podcast in the last few weeks while we've been on the road, and every one of you are fucking beautiful. So, thanks. Uh, to wit, we're in Boulder, Colorado right now, uh, hanging out with a guy named Isaac. 
Isaac wrote to me, listens to the podcast, wrote to me, said, hey, if you get to Boulder, you should meet my parents. They're super cool. Lo and behold, we go over to his parents' place, and yes, they're super cool. Uh, they run a Zen center. His father is an ethnomusicologist. His mother is um, a healer and a Zen. I forget what her title is exactly, but she helps people deal with the grief around dying and the process of dying. Beautiful woman, fantastic cook. Uh, anyway, so we crash it in their driveway and hanging out with them and their dogs. And then we go camping with Isaac and, uh, it's just fantastic. And it's all because of the podcast. Uh, it's four o'clock Sunday, August 5th. I'm going to finish this intro, throw this thing together and go over to a Starbucks and upload it right away. Uh, because I just want to say anyone who's in the Denver, Boulder, Colorado area tomorrow night, Monday at 7 p.m. at Rayback Collective, we're going to be having a tangentially speaking get together and you're welcome. Come bring your friends, do whatever you want. We'll be there. Cassie and I will be there as well as at least a dozen other people who have RSVP'd and who knows how many people they'll bring and tell. So it's a cool, uh, like a brew pub, outdoor space, lots, lots of space, really nice place, good beer, good food, good people, and I hope to see you there. If you're in Melbourne, Australia, you're not going to make it to the pub tomorrow at 7 p.m., or if you're in Iceland or in Finland or wherever the fuck you are, but we'll miss you, and I hope we'll run into you down the road. I have just finished a couple of really interesting podcasts um, a few minutes ago, I finished one with a guy who calls himself Mr. Money Mustache. He's a financial kind of financial independence um, advisor for young folks who are like trying to get out of the grind. So that was really interesting. Very interesting. Cool guy. A couple days yesterday, actually, I sat down with Aaron Ralston, who... You may not know his name, but you may have seen the film about an incident that occurred in his life, a very important incident uh, when he was out hiking in Utah and he uh, was slipping down into a slot canyon and his arm got pinned between a boulder and the wall and he spent, I think it was six days and nights there before he broke his arm and cut through the muscle and bone and freed himself and got out alive. Uh, the film stars James Franco. I think it's called 127 Hours. I might have the number wrong. Um, but what a cool guy. And shout out to David at Telluride Brewing for putting us in touch with Aaron. They're buddies because uh, I guess they go to fish concerts together and uh, so he suggested, oh, you're going to Boulder. Maybe you want to talk to Aaron and told me who he was. And I was like, fuck yeah, dude, if you can hook it up and hook it up, he did. So that's coming to you. I'm going to release those two in September. We're doing more sort of on the road uh, podcasts here for the rest of uh, August while we're actually on the road. So this episode is with Seth Buchanan who is a guy uh, I met in Crestone, California, uh, Crestone, Colorado. <laughs> I keep saying Crestone, California. Crestone, Colorado, about a year ago. 
I was traveling down there with a friend, and we were hanging out in this pub, and he recognized my voice and introduced himself, and we talked for a while. And he and I kept thinking, man, if I ever get back to Creston, I hope I can track this guy down. I hope he's still here. I'd love to explore his story a little bit on the podcast. And lo and behold, I found him or he found me or whatever. However it happened, we found each other. And so we had a really nice conversation. Basically, just to whet your appetite, this is a guy who at 25, I think, roughly, mid-20s, he realized that he was going down the wrong road, he wasn't happy with his life, he wasn't healthy, he wasn't feeling good, and he took control and changed everything. And when I say everything, I mean fucking everything. Uh, he paid a heavy price. He lost friends. He created some problems in his family dynamic. Uh, but he also went from 360 pounds to 180. And he went from not knowing what the fuck he was doing to taking control and going down a path that uh, sure looks to me to be the right path for him. He's happy, he's healthy, and uh, he's a beautiful guy, and he's about to be a dad. So everything's going really well for him, and I couldn't be happier. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Mr. Seth Buchanan from Crestone. Uh, what did I want to say? There were a couple things I wanted to mention. Oh, uh, David Rose, a friend of mine, who also came into my life through the podcast, he has sort of volunteered to tighten things up a little bit on the tangentially speaking ship, and he's doing making some changes on my website because uh, I'm a fucking idiot and have no idea what I'm doing. So he's uh, just sort of cleaning things up and, and making it more professional. He's sending out an email to a mailing list there are about 6,000 names on there, but we want to, before we start sending out monthly, you know, emails, here's what's going on kind of uh, updates, we want to make sure you actually want to be on that mailing list. So if you've signed up or if you've um, ordered anything from the website, I think that automatically pulls your email address in. So he's sending out an email in the next couple of days just saying, hey, do you want to be part of this or not? It's an opt-in kind of thing because... The last thing I want to be doing is bothering anybody. Uh, I know you got enough of that going on in your life. So if you would like to receive those monthly emails and you don't see this message from David, uh, I guess go to the website, go to chrisryanphd.com, and you'll see a box. I think it's if you're on a computer, it's on the right margin that says sign up for infrequent newsletter or something like that. And uh, make sure you register for that and you'll hear where we're going, what I'm doing, what recent podcasts I've been on, progress on the book, shit like that. Uh, what else did I want to say? Uh, also, that might not come from David's name. I don't know if he's going to send it as David or if he's going to send it as Natasha. Here's a, a confession. Natasha has been many different people. If you've ever received an email from Natasha, uh, she's my assistant, but sometimes Natasha has been my mom. Sometimes she's been my sister. Sometimes she's been friends. Sometimes she's been, well, not really Casilda, but st so Natasha is sort of a, 
an identity for my quote assistant who may be many people including possibly david so when you're imagining natasha who knows and there was a natasha uh who volunteered to help out for a while and we just kept going with her name after she moved on to better things all right enough confessions oh okay another thing david and i talked about the whole roma toma you know, encouraging people to use Patreon because, let's face it, that is what pays for the diesel and Scarlett Johansson. Uh, And, you know, if you look at these sort of sponsorship programs, everybody's like, you got to have bonus material for people who sign up. And But I don't want to screw people who either don't have any money, legitimately are fucking broke, and can't even afford a buck a month. Although, come on, really? A buck a month? Uh, Or maybe they just don't have credit cards. uh, Whatever. Or some people send me money through PayPal. They just, like, drop a hundred bucks in the PayPal and forget about it for a year, which is totally cool. Somebody did that the other day, and I'm like, dude, you just filled the tank with diesel. Thank you. Um, you know, there are lots of ways that people support this podcast and not all of them are through Patreon. So the idea of, you know, putting stuff behind this wall, so only Patreon people get it, just, it just, I tried it and it just felt wrong. You know, I don't, it just felt wrong. So here's what we're going to do. The Tomas and the Romas are going to be automatically sent out to people on Patreon. You'll see it. People who aren't on Patreon can go to my website and download it or stream it. They'll go up on my website. But it's going to be the honor system. So, essentially, there are four people who support the podcast financially. Or people who just really legitimately don't have any money. If you're a freeloader, hey, that's cool. I've been a freeloader myself for many, many years in many different ways. I get it. That's cool. But this stuff is on an honor system so it's kind of like i don't know it's like a cafe where you know you put a dollar in the cup when you get a refill if you're the kind of person who goes and gets a refill and doesn't put a dollar in the cup well you know that's not cool but we're not going to bust you and we're not going to like put shit behind a payroll just because of people like that so it's going to be on the honor system. It might be a while, a couple of weeks until I get around to recording another one. But for future reference, that's how we're going to do it. It's not going to be behind a locked door. The door is going to be open. But the idea is that people who go through the door are people who financially keep this podcast running. So enough of that fucking lecture. Seth Buchanan, super cool guy. I'm going to play a song before we go to this. Uh, I think I'm going to play a song. It's called Hymn of the Big Wheel, and it's by Massive Attack. And um, in the last episode, I talked a lot about the conflicting feelings of wanting to uh, experience gratitude uh, that I feel so much when I'm in nature, and yet also recognition of what the fuck is happening in the world right now these incredible fires and the the drought the streams are the lakes are half empty in many places and you know or flooding in other places there's a lot of shit going down right now folks 
and it's difficult to to put those two things together those those two very opposite kind of feelings and anyway i listened to the song we were driving the other night and the song came up and i don't think i ever realized that it's a song about climate change it begins and ends with the sounds of nature of crickets in the night and whales i think those are whale sounds and uh it's a really groovy, beautiful, touching song. And I would encourage you to listen to the words. And with that, I will shut the fuck up and hope that you enjoy this conversation with Mr. Seth Buchanan, who's not selling anything, doesn't have a book, doesn't have a website, doesn't have any agenda other than to sell his pizza and be happy. And that's fucking beautiful. Turning on a simple life, day by 
Boys and girls, I am in a little park here in Crestone, California. <laughs> Where the fuck am I? Crestone, Colorado. Sounds like it should be California. Should be. Crestone, California. Uh, Crestone, Colorado, at the base of the Sangre de Cristo Mountains. Jesus is bleeding all over the place. Uh, and I'm with uh, Seth Buchanan, who I met a year ago. Yeah. Something like that. Last summertime. Was it summer? Yeah. yeah. Uh, by chance, I was sitting in the uh, the only bar in this beautiful little town, and there was a dude leaning against the wall, and 
he said, excuse me, are you Chris Ryan? I was like, what the fuck? I'm in a town of like 200 people. Made me feel famous, man. Can't get away. It was great. But you recognized my voice. Yeah. Not my superstar Hollywood face. I've only face. heard your voice. You've only... <laughs> <laughs> so you'd never seen me like on Rogan or something? Maybe a picture. Yeah. But no. Yeah, it's funny when people recognize me. I, I don't know why. Like, why would you write? I wrote a book. Like, that doesn't make your face recognizable. It's a great podcast. It's one of the most interesting ones I've ever Well, thank you, man. I, yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. But I think you're the first person who has recognized me by voice and come up and then introduced <laughs> yourself. <laughs> so that was cool. And then uh, we had a conversation that stuck with me. And I, I remembered bits of your story that I, I just remember thinking, fuck, I want to talk to that guy and fill in the gaps. Because what I remember is that you were raised as a Mormon and you went on mission and then you left the Mormon church and then you went back to some of the places a little bit is that kind of kind of like I have that. a tendency to make shit up yeah. so correct me <laughs> well, if, that's if I uh, yeah raised Mormon uh, whole family's been all the way back to Joseph Smith times hmm. came across the prairie with the pioneers uh, and so I was raised like that raised in born in Utah don't hit the table man because it comes up on the mics. Sounds good. <laughs> Can't get those angry people at home. Exactly. Italians. No Italians on the podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was raised Mormon until I was about 25. Went on a Mormon mission to Brazil. Uh, married in the temple. Did oh, the, you were married as well. Yeah, did the oh. whole did the whole thing that everyone, you know, the whole process of what Mormonism is. And at one point I just realized I was not happy. I was about 360 pounds. Working a job I didn't want to be at, going to church, it just caused me anxiety. 360 fucking pounds. It was what do you weigh now? 180? Half that. Yeah, half that. Yeah. yeah, so Crestones helped out definitely with the high elevation, walking around, just breathing more. Um, but yeah, so it was about 25, kind of had a wake-up call of like, what am I doing with my life? I'm just living someone else's life. I'm not doing what I really want to do. So was there something specific that triggered that, or was it just a building feeling? Or how a building work? feeling, and then... Uh, me and my I'm the youngest of six I have four brothers and a sister and a couple of us brothers just kind of had the same realization at the same time oh really of like hey what are we doing here what's <laughs> what's this what's this recipe we've been following our whole life is this is this the right thing or is there anything else out there and so just kind of started looking outside the box of what Mormonism was what it is and I don't have anything against it people can people have all sorts of different opinions on it but for me it was pretty good I mean at 19 go to Brazil and eat delicious food and hang out with awesome people it wasn't the worst time in the world go to a Mormon college and got an education got married and at a certain point we both just realized what what, what is this life <laughs> there's got to be more to it than just going to church your every wife weekend. also had this yeah we, we, we both left at the same time we got divorced maybe a year or two later after that but it was helpful to go through at the same time. Huh. It was helpful. And then, uh, yeah, after that, it's just been kind of a interesting life of figuring out where do I want to be, what do I want to do, kind of rewriting the whole script of yeah how how to live life outside so, someone telling you. So you were 25 when the shit hit the fan. Pretty much. And how old are you now? 36. 36, so about yeah, a decade a, ago. It was a two or three year process of, yeah. of fully coming to grips of like, you know, because they, they in, in, instill it in you that if you leave the church, you're basically leaving your family with an empty dinner table, empty seat at the dinner table in heaven. Right. And so there was a lot of a lot of guilt. My dad was pretty high up in the church. He was considered a stake president in Wisconsin, which is basically over, you know, 
a lot of a lot of people the leader so for one of his sons to leave the church was you know not looked upon favorably several of his sons several of his sons yeah and hmm. so it's kind of interesting now in the family that two of us are out two are kind of on the fence and two of them are still full believing and it's kind of an interesting interesting thing to see how people's lives go with that of being either in or out or on the fence so have your have you and your family come to some sort of understanding or do they just not want to hear from you uh we like to maybe talk about the things we have more in common than the things we don't have in common so a lot of times the church just doesn't come up yeah my mom's really cool about it she you know wants me to be her son no matter what right so she doesn't have a problem with it uh and i don't think anybody really has a problem with it. it's just different than what they with the life they're living so maybe they have some some underlying issues but they don't really come up general family drama stuff but it's pretty pretty calm do you think is this happening more uh with your generation than previously yeah i work a little bit in utah doing pizza work and a lot of times the people we meet there are people that have were raised mormon and and come out of it there's a lot of people that i think are waking up whether it's the internet kind of waking them up or just people having their own issues because the church hasn't been without controversy you know, the church has had a lot of, you know, issues that a lot of people don't agree with. Yeah. And so they start seeing, what what is this organization? Is it is it literally like they teach us where it's Jesus's, re, you know, restored church? Or is it just a religion that's kind of man-made and has had some man-made control issues? Yeah. So. I yeah. Think, and they've clashed with mainstream culture, American culture on the racism front. Yeah. Right? I mean, it wasn't was until 1978 one. that they even changed <laughs> some pretty horrible opinions. Right. Allowed black people to yeah. be in the church. Yeah. Uh, and was the deal, the way they finessed that was somebody had a vision or what happened? It's usually how they have. I don't remember. I was, that was a little bit before my time. But yeah, it's yeah. usually how they say it where they've had a revelation of, right. you know, things have changed now. And it's all men, right? There are no women high up in the church. Yeah. I mean, there's the Relief Society, and they have their presidency. But for the most part, the presidency of the church and the Quorum of the Twelve and all going all the way down is mostly men. Right. All men. And then the other big uh, issue they've confronted is with uh, LGBT yeah, issues. they've had some. I mean, they did the Prop Eight in California. That was oh, a lot of they people had. funded that. That's yeah, so there's a, a whole lot of that. That definitely rubbed a lot of people wrong. But you know, it's the, yeah. So like I said, they're not without controversy. One of my big ones was, you know, financing a six billion dollar mall downtown, hmm. Salt Lake City, where it's like, is this really what we should be doing with our money? Is you yeah. know, you preach to us to be out of debt. You preach to us to not be commercial. But then you build a mall with the money. Yeah, you know that was that was kind of the time I was coming out of it. I was like, God, that's why would I give my money to a church that just wants to invest in real estate in a mall and doesn't really do the work that I, I feel like they should be doing. And there's no accountability. Yeah, it's not like there's a process where you can vote and say, Hey, do this with my money. It's just the books are open or something. Yeah, follow the profit. That's what they say. You know, it's like P R O P H E T, <laughs> not P R O F I T. Follow yeah. the profit. But yeah. you start seeing that in a different way, and it's. It's definitely, they had a lot of money they're dealing with. Did you, when you were younger, when you were 15, 16 or whatever, did you believe it or did you just sort of accept it and not, I mean, all the stuff about the tablets and the Indians and all that stuff, like, did you, were you like, yeah, I'm down with that? Or, or were you just like, yeah, whatever? It was almost more more problems to question it than, hmm. than anything, you know? It's like, like I said, I was the youngest of six, you know, raised in a pretty strict family 
where it's like you just didn't question that. It's, just yeah. what, it's what you did. It's what we've always done. This is the momentum that, that we have. Yeah. And so it wasn't anything I really, I didn't really have the space like until I was in my 20s to really be like, what? I don't know if I believe that. Isn't that yeah. a weird thing? Like how how readily kids will just believe what yeah. they're told and you can like, you can give them a world. Yeah. That, that could be so fucked up or beautiful depending you right. know, where they come from. But right. Yeah, I think about that all the time, like the stuff that... I mean, I still love to watch NFL football sometimes. Yeah. And I know it's bullshit. I know it's just totally ridiculous bullshit, but I grew up watching it, so it still gets me yeah. on some visceral level. Right. I grew up in Wisconsin, man, and you watch the Packers. It's what you do. Yeah. It's, yeah. So you follow the Packers, and it's like, yeah, I enjoy that. It's kind of a community thing. Yeah. But yeah, you can teach a kid a lot of things. I mean, I remember having the realization, I think I was sitting in a primary class, seven, eight years old, and they were talking about the prophets of the church and I was like well how many of the presidents of the United States are more they're all have been Mormon right <laughs> well, I live in a world in Utah that everybody's right. Mormon I right. assume that everybody in the world is Mormon right and it was like quite a shock to me I was like wait what yeah nobody that's been the president of the country has ever been a Mormon hmm. and that was like a, one of the like initial thoughts I thought I was like wow I thought everybody was Mormon right yeah. but that was just like, the world oh, I grew up in wait it's a minority yeah 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 yeah, and it's weird when you're taught as a kid, like, all the Bible stories, too. Because I remember we had an old volcano in my backyard in Utah, and I thought it was part of the Bible. You, know, you had a it, volcano in your backyard? It was Glenwood, Utah, yeah, kind of a seismic seismic area where it, was, it wasn't an active one, but it was an old one that had, the, you know, the volcano top. And as a kid, I was like, well, that volcano is going to blow up at any moment. I mean, these are the stories you read about in the Bible. Sure. You read about all these, you know, stories of calamity and yeah. and whatnot. And it was, it's interesting raising a kid with those kind of serious stories in the Bible and teaching them from a young age. It leaves an impression on them, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Just the other day, I was thinking about the similar topic, uh, not a volcano. I was thinking about quicksand. <laughs> Because we were driving somewhere and there was like flash flood warnings. It was the desert and you could see like where there was l some standing water. Yeah. And it was all very like liquidy sandy. And yeah. I was like, fuck, I bet there's quicksand down there. <laughs> and when I was a kid, I'm 20 or 30 years older than you, but when I was a kid, uh, quicksand was a big thing. It was a serious threat. Yeah. Like Lassie was always <laughs> trying to pull Jimmy out of quicksand and Tarzan right. had quicksand right. to deal with. and. And I really, like, spent a lot of time thinking about, like, how I was going to get out. And, you know, you got to throw the stick across. Right. And you got to, like, try to get horizontal. And it was like a, a thing. Right. I was always on alert for quicksand. <laughs> but I have Same yet to, to be anywhere near any fucking quicksand. I think I may have driven by it on the highway the other day. But that's... that's it didn't pull me out of the truck. Avoided the threat. I've avoided it. After all these years. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that thing about how we... we uh, inculcate kids with belief systems and right. appetites and fears, especially fears in America. Was, you know, I'm always struck by how fearful people are in America. So true. And yet they think, they don't realize how fearful they are, you know, because they think they're safe and yeah, secure. Well, they're, you know, keep America safe. <laughs> Thank God George Bush kept America safe. Right. Like, Terrorism's on another place. The yeah. war is happening somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Ignore <laughs> all the bodies in the street um all right so not to rant don't, don't, don't let me rant get don't tangential rant. get i'm getting all tangential up in this <laughs> up in the shit uh where were we now we were talking okay mormon is so you're 25 you do you have any kids with your wife i have one on the way right now oh congratulations breaking news i guess but wow yeah so that's, that's interesting talking about how to raise a kid that's definitely been on my mind i'll bet yeah yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be very interesting because I think my parents were like this as well. My parents were raised Catholic and they left the church together. And then I was born shortly thereafter. And I'm, af- I'm actually named after the priest that my father went to to confess his doubt that he didn't think he could continue oh, wow. being a Catholic. And the priest said to him, you know what, Frank, I don't think I can either. Uh, I've been, you know, having a lot of my own questions. Oh my goodness. And like that was so... Not a start to heart. Yeah, yeah. really, really. Um, and I met that guy later wow. before he died. <laughs> yeah, Father Chris. Anyway, uh, yeah, raising a kid where you aren't so sure yourself, I think is an interesting place to be as a parent. Right. You know, you're not just passing on what was right. taught to you. You're coming from an original, thoughtful, critical. I think that comes from a more honest point of view too, yeah. though. Yeah. Where you can be authentic with that, that child. And I think yeah. humans of any age resonate with, with authenticity and honesty. Yeah. You know, and not pulling yeah. those old stories and guilt and shame and all those things not just keeping that stuff away yeah it's kind of the goal that i see yeah well, i think it'll make you a better parent you know with with my dad i remember asking him some question some sort of profound question and i can remember him saying i don't know let's try to figure that out together right and like you know getting some books and looking <laughs> things up and right so it's an honest of, answer yeah it's it well, it's two things it's an honest answer and it's also uh an introduction to critical thinking and you know like there let's find the answer right you know let me show you how to find an answer rather than just give you one right like, teach you to fish you know instead right yeah yeah i think it's 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 great it's it's a very modern thing though you know i don't think hunter gatherers question their reality the way we do no. there wasn't this fractured sense of right. different realities overlapping why do you think that is why they didn't? Yeah. Like, well, because I think that their, honestly, I think their sense of reality was more comprehensive than ours mm-hmm. and more accurate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm open to the possibility that I'm wrong about this, but um, I think one of the indicators of this is is how societies deal with psychedelics. Because psychedelics invite you to question your received sense of reality yeah right and so societies that have a fragile false that dog has not stopped fucking barking since i turned on the mics it's incredible <laughs> like microphones bring out the noisiest shit we'd be sitting here talking and the dog would be asleep yeah. but but turn on the mics and it's <clears throat> got it anyway i hope that's not bothering people out there just a uh, and there's also a sprinkler going on, but that's a nice sound. We're in the park. Um, yeah, so societies that are based on a false sense of truth, I think, fear psychedelics. Because they... It'd be a wrecking ball for their yeah, beliefs. exactly. Right. Yeah. And then you have, you know, every hunter-gatherer society that I know of that has any access to psychedelics cherishes them. Mm-hmm. Right? And, yeah. and sees them as a great gift of the right. gods. So to me, that suggest that they're not worried about right you know people tripping out and finding out this is all bullshit right because it isn't bullshit you know right um and also i think there's a greater sense of metaphor so i don't think people take the 
stories, of, like origin stories, for example, um, in indigenous societies, I don't think they take them as seriously. Mm-hmm. I think we tend to get real literal about shit. Right. So a lot of Bible thumpers are like, no, no, Jesus really did say that, you know, and therefore we have to like persecute fucking Jews or whatever. It's like, <laughs> he was a Jew, I guess. I don't know. Right. Um, Life can get sideways without the psychedelics. Yeah. You can see. Yeah, it's it, good to cleanse the lens occasionally. Right. <laughs> I read a great quote the other day, Vladimir Nabokov, the Russian writer. Um, he said, reality, in quotation marks, is the only English word that means nothing without quotation marks around it. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Because it's always conditional. Yeah. It's always air quotes, reality. What is reality? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, there is reality. We know what that is, but nobody knows what reality is. (laughs) Right. Oh, man, there's a kid going by on a Segway. That is not what you expect to see in Crestone, Colorado. <laughs> I mean, that's like that's like a Berkeley thing, you know? There's like 15 cars and a Segway in this town. That was strange. See some crazy things here. Crazy shit going down in Crestone. It's a uh, place. So, okay, so you're 25. You and your wife have this... this uh, Wake-up moment. You, yeah, awakening. You got woke together, which was... Must have been kind of beautiful in a way. It was. Absolutely. It's like being born together or something. Yeah, we both went. We could, There was always someone to be like, hey, I don't know. What is this stuff? You know, like we could talk about all those things together, which I think helped the process be a little bit faster, a little bit uh, more thorough mm. in, okay, yeah, this is what I feel. And yeah. I don't have to worry about how am I going to break this to my partner who's full believing and doesn't want her walls broken down. Right. Because that can be an issue, too. I've seen that. With people in my family, it's like somebody believes one thing, somebody who doesn't believe another, and that can create quite the, sure. the friction in a in a marriage that was made in the temple of Mormonism. Yeah. So. Yeah. It can be it can be a wild trip on that end, just in the fact that people don't entirely know what they're going through, you know. And a lot of those things you can't bring up to people inside the church because all of a sudden you're going to be that person who's questioning these things, who's been reading things on the internet, and all of a sudden you get labeled a kook real fast. Yeah. So I was very grateful to be able to go through that with my partner. Did you guys have a, like a Bonnie and Clyde vibe going? A couple of rebels? <laughs> it felt like it. <laughs> it felt like it. At the end, you know, it's like, look, it was kind of a funny story. It's like we kind of formed this small commune out in Oregon. Me and my brother, his five kids, another guy from Wyoming, his three kids. All apostates? All just kind of going apostate together at the same time. Uh. And it was like we'd still go to church, but would also fill up a water bottle full of wine and just be like let's let's see this thing really let's 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 get a clear vision of this so thing. you're like undercover at a that little point. bit yeah and you see it and you'd be like what are these what's going on here these people are just following what they've been told nobody's you know everyone's telling stories about someone else that had a great experience who's the actual people having experiences huh. where are these people that are actually you know if if there is a god who's the one people communicating with them yeah so children running by they see the mics let's go run by those microphones right so it was definitely an interesting process to to leave that and then to you know from my days in college all my friends started seeing that i was living a different lifestyle and then heaven forbid we actually me and my partner we separate i moved to hawaii and they're like what are you doing man is everything all right i had so many people reach out trying to make sure that i was going to stay in the church which bless their hearts they're nice people 
but definitely raised a lot of alarm bells there for a few years. Mm-hmm. You know, working at a brewery in Hawaii, that's definitely not something a Mormon should do. <laughs> <laughs> You know? Yeah. You know, yeah. So it's pretty low down on the list of acceptable Mormon career paths. Yeah, wasn't yeah. wasn't up there. Wasn't wasn't up there, so And did your ex become a stripper? Luckily no. Uh, Luckily no. She, <laughs> that would be the maybe another <laughs> career path not particularly popular. Yeah, just just throw a couple curves in there. Yeah. Yeah. Are you still in touch? Uh friends. We don't really stay in touch too much. She lives mm. up in Portland. Mm. Uh lived up there for a while. And we were, you know, close friends. But once you're out of a relationship, it's kind of strange going back to see that person again. Yeah. You know, because it's not the same as as it was. So you have all these memories of that person as they were. Yeah. And so it's, I don't know, we're friends. It's, it's, it's friendly. Yeah. 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 That's cool. So, uh, okay. So you, you have this revelation, revelation after you had been in Brazil. Was it Brazil where you were on mission? I was in Oregon. Yeah, I was in Brazil. And then I was living in uh Went to school in Idaho and was in Oregon where I was living at, Salem, Oregon. But you had been in Brazil for how long? Two years. Two years. Yeah, it was 19 to 21. And you were with another guy the whole time? Yeah. Is that how it works? Yeah. Partners, and two by two. What was he like? Oh, there's a bunch of different ones. Oh, okay. So yeah, it wasn't the same guy the whole yeah. time. So it was probably every, you know, on average about three months. There's a handful of times where it was, you know, four, five, six months. And I got significantly old to be with the same person all that time but yeah it was interesting there was a period of time probably nine months to a year where i was with a, a brazilian uh companion and she didn't speak english i mean at a certain point you start dreaming in portuguese everything's in portuguese everything you do is in portuguese like i had a hard time going back speaking english wait when you were in brazil you were with a brazilian woman? yeah not a Brazilian woman, Brazilian. Oh. Like, they call a companion oh. as the guy you're with. Oh, I got you. Okay. The lines can be very confusing when oh, you I see those you. things okay. in, in modern language. Yeah, but. I was thinking if you were hooking up with Brazilian girls. <laughs> that definitely is not allowed down there. Yeah. <laughs> that definitely. That's, that's one of the rules is is no no oh, dating. But sending you to Brazil, man. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a temptation. 19-year-old, jeez. <laughs> I mean, it's the one place where just being an American gives you currency. Exactly. It's like white is exotic. Yeah. And Damn. You're, you're this American guy walking around these places that I haven't seen Americans and they're like, who's this guy? And you're like, I can't do anything about it. Yeah. You know, I gotta be true. I gotta be, I gotta stay, stay faithful to the Mormonism. Damn, dude. But there was, I remember a handful of missionaries that it, they they weren't quite so faithful and they, they got sent home. They slipped up, did they? they? They sent them home. Oh, really? Yeah. They nailed them and caught them. Yeah, and that's a, that's a, I mean, that's a big shame if you get sent home from your mission. Yeah. Because everyone does two years and if so, if you're, you know, someone sees you after a year, like, what'd you do, man? What'd you do? <laughs> sure, show him a picture of this super hot Brazilian chick. Right. <laughs> That's what I did, and it was worth it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a whole different world from where I grew up at. I mean, yeah. just seeing like, it, like, wow, what is this place? What part of Brazil were you in? Uh, I was just north of Sao Paulo. Mm. It was Campinas. Oh it yeah. Sounds like the worst day camp in the world, but <laughs> yeah, it's interior. Yeah. 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 Hot. Yeah. But it was kind of in the, they call it the Sarah's, the, you know, the mountains, so it was oh. a little bit cooler. I mean, there was days where it was definitely hot, but the wintertime was still there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you, you have this experience and you leave Brazil. You're still, you're still yeah. in it. Come back. You're out of it. Go to college. Then you go to college. What'd you study? Business. International business. business. Okay. I thought I was going to be working in soybeans and stuff like that in Brazil uh, using uh, my Portuguese but you wanted to go back to Brazil yeah I always kind uh, of thought I was like wow this would be kind of cool but uh, then the international business thing and having jobs like that 
definitely faded after a certain point Once pretty you early. Saw what it was. <laughs> yeah, pretty. <laughs> the reality. Pretty, pretty early on that faded out. Yeah. Um, so then you went back to Brazil at that yeah. point? I went back to Brazil just for maybe like a two, three week period mm. after it was during college and I just saw the people that you baptized and went back on kind of a tour, seeing families that you knew, stuff like that. And what was that like coming back with your own perspective having shifted so much? Pretty weird. Yeah. Pretty weird. It was, uh, you know, interesting. I don't think I could go back at this point and see those people because I wouldn't want to break their bubbles if they're still full-believing Mormons. And, and, uh, and So you didn't break their bubble at that point? No. So you had, you had brought them into the church and now you'd left. I hadn't left at the time. When you went back, when you I hadn't back, left? I hadn't left. I, was, oh. I, was, I mean, I was in college and I wasn't really like as serious about it. You know, when we went back to, I mean, we went back to Rio and it was still, it was definitely an even more eye-opening experience not being a missionary and seeing what life was like there. But I was still, you know, technically in the church. Hmm. So. And then when did you go to Mozambique? That was uh, maybe a year or two after that. I was 24. It was like right before I pretty much had the awakening, maybe a year before. I was still in my last year of college and went to Mozambique to basically teach small business classes, teach people how to... I mean, to them, the unemployment rate was like 80, 90 percent. just wasn't... They were maybe 10, 15 years out of civil war, and so it was still people getting back on their feet. And Mormonism was just kind of taking a route there. They had missionaries there for the first time. Mm. So they sent you know business students like me down there for three four months just to teach classes and you already spoke portuguese yeah yeah and i've looked at it more like man i don't want to go to school for a semester i want to go hang out in mozambique and there's a beach there yeah hell of a beach <laughs> whole country's a beach yeah so i was like yeah i'll go do that that sounds nice yeah. that sounds like a fun project to go do instead of going to school and classes in idaho and you were in the north it's a, yeah north central yeah barra was barra. kind of right barra. right at that the center point and what what do you remember from that? I haven't been up that far. I've been to Maputo and around the uh, south. Yeah, I remember it being just completely, completely different than what I was used to in life. Even after seeing Brazil and being in some pretty poor places there, it was just a completely different life. Yeah. You know, the way people lived, you know, it, it, the place was kind of a mess at the time because no, there was no governmental services running. It was all basically people just live in life there wasn't a whole lot of any sort of organization there i mean the buildings that the portuguese built were being squatted in yeah there's mango trees growing out of the roof you know just like a whole a world that was i felt so far away from home but it was beautiful at the same time you know it's an eye-opening experience in that way that how people live how people get by can be pretty simple and beautiful like it doesn't have to be as yeah, how americans view the american dream of yeah. just going to work every day and and Mozambique is such a rich place in terms of, you know, you mentioned mango trees and food growing everywhere right. and fish. You know, yeah, we'd go help out with the fishermen on the beach and just catch tiger shrimp. Yeah. You know, just pull the Big lines ones. in. Yeah. yeah. And you'd yeah. eat these gorgeous shrimp and you're yeah. just like, yeah, these don't get up to Idaho. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah, if they really... did, they'd be 50 bucks a pound. Yeah, I remember eating that and I was like, this is not a bad life. Yeah. Yeah, I always think life. about that when I read one of these these charts that shows how the world's getting better. And one of the things they show is like global poverty is decreasing. Mm -hmm. And in a country like Mozambique, what that means is that those people who were living on that beach eating tiger shrimp and, you know, whatever else they were catching <laughs> and raising their own chickens and mangoes and corn and, right. you know, uh, those people have been forced off that land and pushed into the 
the cities. The money economy. And now they're making three, four bucks a day. And they're living in squalor. Right. But from an economic point of view, (laughs) they're making three or four bucks a day now when they were making nothing before. So now they're better off than they were before. According to those charts. (laughs) Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. It's like, wait a minute. This is bullshit, man. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I got out of Maputo enough, and I've seen other parts of Africa, people living pretty well in their yeah. huts with their chickens and their little garden and, you know, little fish from the river or the or the right. coast. And, yeah, Casilda was a doctor up there for seven years. Oh, wow. Was, like, traveling from village to village. Yeah. So she saw a lot of that. Yeah, it's it's an awesome place. Yeah. I had dreams of going back there and starting a... Even in... in that was one of my business classes was trying to start a business in Mozambique of like the little chapas, little little mm. buses the driver. Oh, her family owned one of those companies oh, yeah? before the revolution. Yeah. 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 yeah so uh, the little pickup trucks, everybody yeah. gets in the back. If we get a couple of these things from Dubai, we can make it happen. You know, it's international business dreams. Yeah. But uh, never really turned out, which I'm all right with. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have some local contacts for stuff like that. Yeah. And that's a long, long flight. <laughs> it's a long flight. Yeah. You can't just commute there. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so okay. So let's let's continue your your life trajectory here. Yeah. How you're you told 36 me you're now. 36 and yeah. we're doing like your, your the first half of your yeah. life. You can listen back to this when you're 70 and be like, <laughs> exactly. oh, I had no idea. Annotated now podcast <laughs> podcast lore. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. Uh, so the so then what happened? How did you? Uh, like after the big schism, where yeah. did you go? What'd you do? So after me and uh, oh, you went to Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. So kind of after the you know separation happened from my wife, I just you know wanted to go somewhere. Went to Hawaii. Easiest. It was living in Oregon, and it was just either there or New Orleans, and I decided to go to Maui. Hmm. So I hung out down there and kind of cleared my head because it was, it was significantly you know traumatic. When you get married in the temple, you know, the stuff they fill your head with is like, you're going to be married forever and eternity, not just in this life, but for the next life. Mm. And so, you know, it's kind of like that time period where I was like, okay, so that's not a reality anymore. Right. That's, you know, I guess I'm not being married forever. You know, I have this freedom of what do I want to do with my life? Where do I want to go? How do I want to be without the church, really being the guiding influence? Not saying there's anything, you know, wrong with that. There's definitely some stuff that probably stuck around that just helped out. But, you know, just kind of getting my head straight after when all When did you start losing weight? It was right around the time I left the church. You know, I was just like, I got to, you know, I got to choose what I eat, you know. Huh. I got to, this is, this is my choice of what I put into my body. You know, it was like basically a whole, around 26 to 28 was a period of time where, you know, I started making decisions for myself. You know, I, I kind of grew up in a family that, you know, ate whatever you wanted to. You know, my, my grandma put pepsi in my sippy cup at the age of two i had to get weaned off of soda to go to kindergarten it was just the family we lived in you know mm. and were other people in your family overweight yeah yeah people kind of struggled with weight my brother had a you know uh weight loss surgery you know I, I was considering doing it um but then i was just like you know i'm just gonna try this thing out of just exercising a little bit more and eating better than what i was eating which was just soda and fast food and yeah, I was working a job. I had money, so I was like, oh, I'm going to go to lunch. Let's go get burger and fries. Let's go get whatever fast food I had at the time. And you just, I saw pretty quickly that just was not healthy. Mm. You know, I was, a, I was a witness of that, that being sedentary at a job, not working out, not moving, and eating the standard American diet 
was not healthy. <laughs> Did you feel, were you feeling, um, like, were you feeling like something was wrong physically or previously was it just like, yeah, this is normal, not really thinking about it? I, you know, I thought it was normal for a while. You know, oh. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, people in my family are big. This is genetic. This is, yeah. this is how it is. And then you start looking at it, you're like, no, that's probably a dietary issue. Yeah. That's most likely a dietary issue. And so just to, you know, finding that and finding jobs where I'm not sedentary because that's not healthy for me. I, yeah. I can't, I can't sit in an office for eight hours a day and then all of a sudden go home and then be active. You know, that didn't, that never really worked for me. So, you know, the jobs I've picked since then have definitely been more active outdoors and whatnot, which is a big factor for me yeah. on the weight loss journey. So I pretty much lost half myself, which was, <laughs> you know, looking back yeah. on that, I couldn't imagine carrying around 180 pound weight yeah. on top of that. Yeah, it's like a f massive backpack right. full of lead. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't it wasn't a fast process like a lot of people's are. I mean, it was, I, I mean if I look back, I average about a pound a week. For a few years, yeah, but that's the that's the right process, right? Right, and that, that's, that's what they that say. Stays off, yeah. and it's you're actually making changes in your life. You're not just doing some crash right. diet or something. Right. So when you see somebody who's obese now, do you feel like reaching out to them? Is it is there a secret society of <laughs> sympathy in that? A little bit, a little bit. But I think the, the biggest thing is just it, it, for me when I you know if I ever talk to people like that, it's just to motivate them to like you you are in control of this. You know, this isn't outside of your control. This isn't something that's genetic or this isn't mm. something you just got to find what works for you. And generally that's eating healthy and moving around. Yeah. You know, combine those two things and you're going to have good results. Because that's what what I found for me. So I don't know if that's the same for everybody else, but it seems to be the the common factor. Do you have any trouble keeping the weight off? Uh, every once in a while. But then you just, I, I got to get rein my diet back in because there's still some old, old <laughs> deep set habits. habits where it's like, you know, like living in Crestone's nice because there's no fast food. Yeah. There's two grocery stores. The worst you can go do is get a, you know, a bag of Doritos. Right. That, that's, that's pretty much the worst you can do. Yeah. It's pretty, seems like a pretty healthy place. Yeah. Sometimes when I travel though, it's like, Ooh, there's fast food. You gotta, mm. I got to definitely recalibrate myself yeah. to be like, no, I got, I got, I pack myself groceries and you know, have, have what I want to eat and it's healthy, but it definitely sneaks up sometimes. And when I make pizza at festivals, people give you all sorts of food and it's sometimes hard to turn down, mm. you know, the, the, the community of food vendors isn't always a healthy one, but that's something I've, I've tried to bring and, and, you know, not changing the subject, but in pizzas, try to bring that back to a healthy level because oh, all during that, all during yeah. that time of losing weight, I was, I've been making pizza for eight years. Huh. You know, you usually people give pizza a bad name, but it's, usually the american style of pizza with excess cheese uh. horrible dough and meats of some sort that have some sort of sweetener in it and that's a bad combo of any sort right. of food but so let's talk about the pizza how did that uh, where did that come from um so my brother built a pizza oven about eight eight years ago and it was at the same time my dad had cancer so we kind of went we were all at in wisconsin for a couple months and uh just kind of fell in love with it with making the pizza because my mom always made dough, so I always saw her making dough, at, making bread at home. Uh, Dad worked in the dairy industry, so always around cheese of some sort, usually pretty good quality cheese. And it just felt like a natural fit to be like, how this is actually, it can be a pretty healthy product if done right. And over a period of, you know, seven, eight years, 
have kind of figured it out to where it can actually be a beautiful, beautiful thing if you get all the inputs right. Use clean water, a good flour that's not been, you know, Americanized with glyphosate sprayed on it just to help the drying process and mm. you know no dough conditioners emulsifiers it's just flour water is it hard salt. to get that kind of flour yeah can be yeah there's a place in utah that raises good organic flour central milling but uh, italian flour even even their standard practices are better than usda organic yeah just from how they've how they've done it. they haven't wanted to change they haven't wanted to bring in yeah. the american style of, of making it i was talking to someone about that the other day we were talking about um organic uh you know sort of things being labeled organic in spain and how it it's hard and it's super expensive and a lot of people don't do it and they don't do it because it's like we don't spray chemicals on our food right like that's standard right why would i do that it's a uniquely american thing yeah being pushed elsewhere in the world (laughs) yeah yeah so and there's a lot of resistance to it in italy and in spain as you say so yeah even if it doesn't say organic the standard is organic yeah it's it's very unusual to be spraying shit on the food right and that was one of the the things that awoke me when i started learning about food was like so you can spray stuff on there and that's completely fine but if you don't spray anything you have to pay to go get certified it seems like that system's a whole you know lopsided yeah definitely discouraging the yeah. healthy option it's like but then again you know corn and soybeans are subsidized yeah. you know we're paying good government dollars to, to to grow those things and those things aren't healthy for anybody yeah you know so it's it's interesting to see how how the food system works in america i see a, a best-selling book in your future <laughs> The Pizza Weight Loss Program. <laughs> Oddly enough, that there's a couple books out there. Oh, really? No, there's been a couple of big Italian guys that have lost weight, and they've, uh, they've definitely, oh, okay. they <laughs> they've a, definitely wrote that book. that market. I got, I got to get maybe a couple other angles on that one. Yeah, I, think I can do it. Because I mean, man, if you could tell people you can lose a lot of weight eating pizza, yeah, holy shit, yeah. right? Yeah, right. Sign me up. Right, and that's one of those. The thing I realize now about pizza, and especially living out here, is it's healthy for you if you actually move your body hmm. but if you don't move your body and eat a lot of breads right the carbs it'll it'll pile up on yeah you. yeah but as long as you're off. working but i mean going back to the bible that's when adam got cast out of the garden by the sweat of his brow he shall eat his daily bread maybe there's something to that hmm. you know yeah bringing some biblical meaning to pizza making yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. I want to see you dressed up like Jesus next time you're. So, uh, okay. So, how the hell did you end up in Creston? Oh man, that's a that's a that's definitely a story. So, I was making pizza in Wisconsin for three years and kind of realized that's not really where. Were you in a pizzeria or where? Uh, mobile. You're I had just that same already. on the on. Yeah, so did a lot of catering, farmers markets. Um, it's festivals. a it's a wood fired brick oven yeah. on a military trailer yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah, so you just drag it along behind your car. Yeah, and, and have kind of a pop up pizzeria and wherever right. we go. So, uh, so after that, me and my previous partner, we were, you know, traveling from Denver to Phoenix. My brother was down in Phoenix, so we we're going down there for you know a couple of weeks in the winter time, and just driving through we were going to hot springs in uh, new mexico caliente oh caliente i was there like two weeks ago that's yeah, a beautiful spot yeah, so yeah. that was our destination and we but we drove by this place called joyful journey and we're like i don't really want to drive anymore this seems like a good place to stop and ended up just having some great conversations with people people mentioned this little town of crestone okay let's go check it out and just drove through here and you know 
kind of fell in love with it. It was like, this is, seems like the ideal town that I, we want to be a part of, you know? Huh. It's like not too big, not big at all, not too small. It has grocery stores, it has, you know, a pub, it has everything you kind of need, inexpensive housing. And so kind of put it on the list, came back through a couple of times on the travels uh, on the way back to Wisconsin that summer, fell in love with it more, and then just made a plan to move out because hmm. we didn't, I didn't really want to be in... With your brother? Yeah, I didn't really want to be in the Midwest anymore. Just kind of had enough. But my, I was there when my dad passed away from cancer, and so I was just kind of ready for a fresh start of somewhere I wanted to be, not just somewhere where it was, you know, yeah. old family stuff. Some intention. Yeah. yeah, somewhere where it you know, made me happy and not somewhere I was just, just being to yeah. be. And so, you know, came here and got pretty, you know, welcomed with open arms. Started making pizza one night a week at the restaurant right over here. Um, uh, found work right away, found a house right away. And it just kind of seemed like it was the perfect fit and it has been since then. Hmm. So, and that's what, six years, two years. Oh, two years. I've only been here two years. Yeah. All right. So you've, are, what are the winters like here? This last winter was pretty mild. Uh, all over the Southwest is pretty mild. Not a whole lot of snow, but it can get pretty gnarly up here. What's I mean, the, what's the elevation? We're at 8,000. Oh, we're at 8,000. Yeah. So San Luis Valley is the, the uh, world's largest high alpine desert. So Alamosa sometimes registers the, the lowest temperature, if you read those things, the, the map on the back of the USA Today, mm. Alamosa, Colorado's on there quite a bit for the coldest days, because mm. it can get pretty, pretty cold. No humidity, it's just, you know, crisp. Nights can get down to negative 10, negative 20 pretty mm. easily. So, but it's nice. I mean, you bundle up and it's, it's sunshine in the day and have a nice fire and a well-built house. It's so, pretty ideal. In addition to being a beautiful little town, there's a strong Buddhist, right. Hindu, uh, lots yeah, of it's kind of a gathering of a gathering of of spiritual ideas. So maybe that's some one reason why I resonate with it. It's just kind of uh, not a whole lot of place in America anymore. People really even talk about spiritual stuff unless it's you know organized religion, right? You know, for people to actually be like, oh, you have a connection with a creator. That's that's interesting. You have some interesting conversations with people right. like that. So, uh, you know, from all different walks of life, whether that's a Buddhist monk, you know, like a Rinpoche was here today. I work at up a Buddhist center doing maintenance up there. And so you get people coming in from all different lineages of, of you know, spiritual thought. And it's kind of a melting pot of that kind of stuff. A very tolerant kind of environment. Yeah. 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 Tolerant of of anybody pretty much that's kind of the nice thing about it is you know you'll never be the weirdest person around <laughs> <laughs> something to be said for that I right guess. yeah uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's an interesting town at the end of the road you know there's a lot of uh, a lot of people say that this is uh you know you know back to indian lore as they call it the bloodless valley where a lot of the indian tribes would come here for vision quests oh really you know the hopi have uh you know their creation story has them come being taken care of by the ant people down by the great sand dunes there's all the mount blanca just south of us is big in one of the four mountains in navajo tradition Mm. um so there's a whole lot of of ancient history of of people here not coming here just for money right you know people come here for money quickly find that it's not the place to be Mm. you know that's kind of something for more just living living peacefully which I've enjoyed, you know, the people who can be from all different backgrounds but live peacefully together. First time I mentioned in the bar earlier, the first time I heard of Crestone was um, because of the open fire burials that they have a permit to do here. Yeah, it's I the only guess. place in America, I believe, yeah. that people can have an open open air burial. 
Do you know, is that associated with the, the Hindus or is that a separate thing? I think it might be. Yeah. Hindus or Buddhists. It's definitely an Eastern religion type thing, but a lot of people have accepted it. It's an it's interesting way to see somebody go. Yeah. You know, you definitely have some finalization to it. You know, it's not yeah. like the modern American burial practices. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's a little bit more real. Yeah, American burial practices are all about denial of death. <laughs> right? This is a full-on acceptance of this is the old meat vehicle on fire right here. Right. You there's there's no denying it. it. <laughs> you see the body in there. Right. Yeah, in the, in the Hindu tradition, I remember in Varanasi, the, the eldest son... Um, when the body's burning, it's his job to take a staff and crack the skull. Oh, yeah, that would be a interesting job. Yeah, pretty heavy. <laughs> pretty heavy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Have you been in India? Never have. Asia? No. No. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, uh, so you're about to be a dad now? Yeah. Yeah. I found it's uh, my girlfriend's about three months pregnant. Wow. It's interesting interesting project in life to undertake yeah yeah did you meet her here uh yeah she was living over in durango and when i was traveling through we kind of met up met on instagram actually of all places to meet and it was just one of those things that hit it off went went to uh went to the world's deepest hot spring on the first date and it was deep since then <laughs> that's fantastic <laughs> where's, where's the world in pagosa springs Oh really? Yeah. Yeah, we drove through there a couple yeah. times. Didn't oh, fantastic stop, in the in the winter time there. The whole oh, town's just kinda yeah, steamy it's so and fucking hot. Up no. in the mountains, yeah. We stopped uh Rico. Yeah. The beautiful hot springs yeah. there. Oh. That's just, that's, that's I shouldn't awesome be saying spot. that on the uh on right, the you gotta keep some of these things quiet. <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's, it's in the mountains twenty <laughs> well, miles to the west. Long ways away. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different Rico. It's a long dirt road. Uh yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Hey, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story, man. Yeah. I, I guess we're, we're up to the present now. Yeah. Got a baby on the Got way. Got a baby on the way. It's going to be... Making pizza all over the place right now. Yeah. Kind of figuring all that stuff out. It's interesting becoming a father. Yeah. You know, that's something I, I didn't ever think I was it was going to happen. And magically it just happened. Hmm. So, kind of figure out how that does happen. Magically? Is right. that how it happens? Magically. There's got to be magic somewhere in life, right? <laughs> But it's honestly one of the trippiest things to be a part of is like, wow, that person's growing a human inside of him. Yeah. And that's from us. Yeah. You know, it's, it, you know, it at certain points in my life, I was very grateful I didn't have children. Yeah. But at this point in my life, I, I feel pretty ready for it. Pretty excited for it. Well, that's fantastic, man. Yeah. I'll give you all my carbon credits. <laughs> <laughs> no you know? kids for me. Yeah. No kids for me. But it's, uh, I guess it's the old the Mormon tradition in me to have kids, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not dogmatic about it one way or the other. I right. think, uh, you know, people who, as someone said to me when I was considering writing a book, a friend of mine in publishing said, no one should write a book unless they absolutely have to. And I was like, yeah, I get that. All right. I need to write this one. Though, You're right. You know? And uh, but I think it's that way about kids, too. It's like, you know, someone like you, you're like, fuck yeah, I'm ready for this. Right. This is, you know, you're ready to jump in. Yeah. Do it. At different you're... points in my life, it would have been chaos. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been chaos. I was definitely on the side of the fence of like, no, I don't want a baby. I'm thinking about getting fixed. Yeah. I don't know if this is ever going to, you know, maybe that's just not in, in my cards. And I'm, you know, at a certain point in my life, I was completely okay with that. But now that it's happened, it's a beautiful thing, yeah. you know, being ready for it. Especially her. She wants she wants to be a mom. She she wants to identify with that. And, right. You know. And I think for both of us, it's kind of, you know, 
I don't know if compartmentalizing the past is the right way, but we both came from places that we don't really want to continue those ways. Yeah. And so we can kind of create a new... A new trajectory. A new trajectory for not yeah. only us, but for the child, too. Yeah. So kind of a an outlet in, in figuring that out deeper. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Which is interesting, you know. Yeah. It's, a, it's an exciting thing to so go through. Come back in 10 years and have your kid on. <laughs> That'd be awesome. What's the name of your pizza company? Uh, Dobro's Pizza is the one of me and my brothers do on Instagram. Dobro's. Dobro? Yeah. D-O-U-G-H-B-R-O-U-G-H. Oh, Dobro's. Right. Dobro's. I was thinking of slide guitar. Right? Dobro's. We, we, that's a good jamming. name. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So we, we do, that's the, we do a handful of festivals throughout the Four Corner states. Um, but then my one here is just kind of my own. I'm just Seth the Pizza Guy around here. Seth the Pizza Guy <laughs> in Crestone. And if you're in the Four Corners at a festival, look for Dobros. Yeah. Say hi. Thank you, brother. Thanks. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Thank you to everybody who supports the podcast through Patreon.com. You can decide how much you want to give the podcast a buck a month, five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, or you can get completely crazy and give 20 bucks a month or more. Or you can give nothing. If you don't have any cash, don't worry about it. Just enjoy the podcast and tell your friends. Thank you to Basin and Range for that opening music at the beginning of the podcast. Very funky little tune there uh, called The Bright Side of the Sun, I believe. You can find out more about them at basinandrangeband.com. If you want to talk about the podcast with other listeners, a good place to do that is on Reddit. Just search Tangentially Speaking, all one word. There's a community of a couple hundred people in there chatting about the episodes. I drop in occasionally and say hello, answer questions, whatever. Uh, thanks to Shore Design T-shirts. Our garage is full of them. My mom has them all organized as only she can. Julie, thank you to Julie, my mom. She'll send those t-shirts out to you if you order them. Everything we've got in stock is from Shore Design T-shirts in Thailand, and you can check out their webpage as well for other designs. Thank you to Carsey Blanton. You can find out more about Carsey Blanton at CarseyBlanton.com C-A-R-S-I-E-B-L-A-N-T-O-N.com she wrote and performed the song you're about to hear, which is called Smoke Alarm. And it's a reminder to carpe fucking diem while you still can, because, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to die one day. Here's to you, Bennett. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say
shut it up and give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation Running from a confrontation Wondering what we ought to say <laughs> When everyone we've ever known Is headed for a headstone It's a big deal If you wanna be free Say what you wanna feel Spend the night with me I'm gonna take you up in my arms And if we must go down We'll go singing to the smoke alarms We'll dance into the ground